Section 7 of Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Tom Petrie's Reminiscences of Early Queensland, Part 1, Chapter 7. When the boys had been shown all there was to be seen in the smaller circle, they were taken again to the larger one, and there placed as before, with the men and women all round outside, dancing and singing, some quite close, and others fifty yards or so away from the ring. Then, down the roadway, would come the warriors from the Kaka, and going up to each boy, a man would whisper in his ear the name formerly agreed upon. Then out this name would be shouted, and the roaring and singing and dancing which followed continued for half an hour, when it gradually ceased and died down. After that the gins and a few old men were left in charge, while the others went out hunting to return with food, a supply of which they gave to the boys. At night the lads, still in twos round the ring, were treated to a fireworks display. Kundry men would come running down the roadway to the big ring with small fire sticks in either hand, and these they would shake and brandish in front of the boys as they ran around the ring, making a great noise all the time. The men and women on the outside added to the row by singing and dancing, and they also carried fire sticks twisting them into all shapes and forms with their movements. It was a sight worth seeing. Let us, in fancy, look at it in the solitude of the bush. The dark forms ever on the move, the fire sticks twisted into fantastic shapes, and hoops of fire lighting up the little sober faces of the boys as they sat around the ring watching the performance and the white boy, looking on at it all. What were his thoughts of it? To him it was a common occurrence, but to us, could we but see it now, it would indeed be a strange and memorable scene. And as we looked, the men in the ring, after running till they must surely tire, stand, and brandish their sticks for the last time, then cast them into the centre of the ring where they blaze up, illuminating the night. This would end the performance, and the kippers were marched to the special camp prepared for them away from the others. The next morning, after the cry for the dead and the early meal, etc., the kippers were once more taken to the ring and placed there in the old position with the men and women singing round them as usual. In the bush fifty yards away, dark forms were hidden, two on either side of the ring. These were some of the great men, and presently one lop would start whistling as a sort of warning of what they meant to do, and being answered by their companions of the opposite side, they would all then go forward with a dance and a song to where the gins were, and start chasing the latter, calling them to be off and camp by themselves, taking also their belongings. 
these poor creatures were threatened with instant death if they disobeyed or came near and dared to look at anything about the ring if black women are as curious as we are supposed to be this was hard lines let us hope they are not after the women had gone out of sight and hearing the young men or kippers were taken to their quarters and there fully dressed in the style described before the men also dressed in their fighting dress and when ready they marshalled the boys back to the ring the youngsters then were shown the bookeram and the wobble can the men swinging the former and making it sound also playing with the latter and instructing the boys how to use it in between too they would sing and dance the secret corroboree that the women must never hear nor see each boy would now be presented with his dilly and the wobbled can to put in it afterwards the men began to pick quarrels with each other calling names and wrestling even throwing one another to the ground and this was all for the boys benefit that they might be tempted to speak they were tempted in every way spoken to laughed at jeered at as in the lesser ceremony the second night the boys were taken up the roadway and shown the wonders there by firelight this time their guides would carry lighted torches and all along on both sides bright fires burned casting their radiance on the fantastic figures which lined the way and thus stood out in strange relief they went on thus to the smaller circle and there the kaka came in for a share of attention this sort of thing went on day and night for two weeks sometimes longer then a time was fixed for the great fight but before that event came off the boys would be one day taken from the big ring along the roadway to the smaller one where they were made to stand facing the kaka with the great men thereon hardly would they be so placed when half a dozen blacks would come with a roar and a rush and grabbing hold of the kaka would shake it with a will the warriors on top pulling the kundri from their mouths and crying look at this wonder still the men went on shaking till the kaka became quite loose when they would lift it out of the hole the warriors still on top and lay it down on the ground the boys looking on would now have their heads covered with opossum rugs so that they could not see what was done and the kaka was chopped into little pieces and scattered here and there this over the boys were taken to their camp and allowed to speak perchance before the fight they had had their noses pierced or perhaps it was after placed again round the large ring they sat while a tall one went one behind and one in front of each boy the man in front would have long sharp nails and with these he pinched through the soft part of the boy's nose that done he thrust a small sharp spear through the opening after which a piece of stick formed for the purpose three inches in length was put in 
and this was kept there till the nose healed. Every day during the healing period, water was poured on and the stick was turned round. Then afterwards, a round ball of beeswax was kept in the hole for about a month, in order that it might be kept open. All the time the boring of the nose was going forward, the tall one at the back would keep beating with his open hands the boy's ears and making a roaring noise. This was supposed to prevent the youngster from feeling pain. The kippers would remain in full dress during all this time, and when the nose-piercing was over, all proceeded towards where the gins were camped. But the kippers still kept from their women friends, having their camp apart as usual. Each night now, the young fellows would play with the Wolba can, making it hum and bark like a dog. And the men made the bugaram roar, so that the gins in their camps, hearing these noises, grew afraid and kept well inside their huts, thinking, no doubt, that the poor boys were being swallowed. For kipper-making, the Aborigines did not each time make fresh rings, but there were certain ones that different blacks always used, and these they would fix up. For instance, the natives coming from the direction of Ipswich, Cressbrook, Mount Brisbane, inland blacks, would, with the Brisbane tribe, generally use the ring at Sanford, while the Logan, Amity Point, North Pine, Morton and Bribey Island blacks, coast tribes, had their ring at North Pine. Others again, from further north, such as the Maruchi, Noosa, Kilcoy, Durandur and Baramba blacks, would use the Humpy Bong ring. But it depended on which tribe had the most boys ready for the ceremony, and did the inviting. If a coast tribe invited, then all the others went to the ring that tribe would naturally use, and so on. In the same way, there was generally a certain picked place for holding the fight after kipper-making. The inland tribes went from the Samford ring to the site of the Roma Street railway station in Brisbane, and the coast tribes went either to Eagle Farm or to what used to be known as York's Hollow, where the exhibition now is. The great fight I have already described. And when that was over, the kippers had their various ornaments taken off and put in a dilly, and these were kept for another occasion for fresh boys. Boys who had gone through the kipper ceremony thought a great deal of themselves. Father was often amused at the way in which a small boy, a kipper though, would lord it over a much bigger one who was not yet a kipper. He would tweak the other's ear, pull his hair, and otherwise treat him disrespectfully. And the big chap would be bound to submit as quite an inferior. Or the little fellow would chase the other as hard as he could go, his string tail flying out behind. And it was all quite right. How would white boys like this? It was the duty of the kippers to leave no trace behind of the bugaram or the wobble can. They were supposed to burn these instruments when finished with, so that the gins might not see them. At the end, the boys were marked with body scars 
on the back, the breast, and on the shoulders and arms, in patterns belonging to the tribe to which they belonged. These marks were made with sharp flint stones or shells and had fine charcoal powder rubbed into them. It was remarkable how the scars became raised after a short time. A white man's skin is not the same. Father saw Durham boy, Davis the convict, after he had lived seventeen years with the blacks, and his body was marked, but the scars were flat, not raised as those of the blacks. When all the ceremonies were over, the blacks would still linger, hunting by day and having their corroborees by night, and then, as always after any gathering, even a fight, they would in the end part well pleased with each other and excellent friends. But before leaving any common meeting ground, the Aborigines always exchanged possessions. For instance, the inland blacks would give weapons of possum rugs, dogs, etc. to the coast blacks, for dillies made of rushes that grew only on the coast, shells for ornaments and reed necklaces. It was a great practice, this intertribal exchange of various articles, and accounts for the way in which some weapon, for instance, or perhaps a dilly bag, might be found far from its original home, having gradually made its way after many years to scenes and pastures new. So when some instrument was found in the possession of a certain tribe, it did not by any means follow that they had originally made that instrument. I may mention here that the Aborigines, men and women, all had the same body markings, that is, in the same tribe, for all different tribes had different patterns. Each individual received them as children. Little boys or girls, when old enough, might be taken at any time and marked without any ceremony by old men, never women, of the tribe. However, boys could never receive their shoulder marks till they had come to the kipper stage. Another practice was that of removing the left little finger of all young girls. This was to show that they were fishing or coast women. When nine or ten years of age, a little girl would have her finger performed on by her mother or some old woman in this way. The gin would hunt round for some strong spider's web and get the string from this, or failing that, she obtained some long hair from a man's head. Women's hair was always short. And then with this, she would bind round and round the little finger on the first joint as tightly as possible. In time, the string would cut into the joint and the finger would swell, the end mortifying. At this stage, the child was taken to an ant bed, and there the woman sat patiently holding the finger for some hours, allowing the ants to get at it, but preventing them from going up the arm till such time as they had eaten into the joint and so caused the end to come off easily. Afterwards, the skin grew over the bone. This was a regular practice with the blacks living on the coast. The inland people never did it. It was not done out of any hardness towards the children, but as a matter of course, 
indeed the aborigines were very fond of and kind to their children and were continually skylarking with them they would dress the little piccaninnies up even painting them and then get them to dance and go through with mimic corroborees etc laughing and thinking it a great joke when the children responded they also took a lot of trouble and interest in the way of teaching them to swim climb or use weapons of all sorts end of part 1 chapter 7